So this is um, actually a picture looking into Gaza. Uh, I took this in May. And so was at uh, the group I go with to take college students over there. And uh, we've gone down to the region many, many times and interacted with different communities, different people who live around there to hear what they experience, why this is happening, why these fences and walls are there, and things of that nature. Um, this next slide is a map. And you look at a map of the region, and like you know, any map, you just kind of see cities, you see towns, you see roads. But um, I marked these five different um, pins. Um, the top one is uh, where my friend Roz lives. The actual pin is where my friend Liat lives. Um, Riyadh, I believe that's where my friend Or lives. I know he lives around there somewhere. Um, Beersheba, that's where my friend Shai lives, who's actually going to be guiding our trip in next June. Um, the one that's near Nakal Az, uh, that is where the kibbutz, uh, Kazar Sazar, I'm going mispronouncing the name of it. I'm sure you heard about the um, uh, 40 babies that were found mutilated and decapitated and uh, killed in, from that community. Um, that's where that is. And so... People see maps, this is what I see. So the next one, this is my uh, friend Shai who's leading our trip. He lives 30 kilometers and his uh, town has been, every day there's been rockets that have hit his town. Uh, the next one is my friend Liat who, and her daughter Shai. This is, she lives just above Shai and is having the same thing, rocket fire. Next one. Um, the town that had the 40 babies that were killed and mutilated, decapitated. This is from when I was in that town on last May. Um, that, uh, that's our group. You can see me in the back. Um, uh, my students played with those kids. And so I've been talking with some of them this week about processing the grief of knowing that a child that they held last May is now dead. Um, this woman, uh, her name is Chen. Uh, we didn't know anything about her. We were, she's the one that takes our groups around, so I've known her for like eight years. Very concerned. Like, I told a colleague at Moody, like, I, I'm assuming she's dead. Like, we haven't heard anything. We don't know what's going on. This was on Tuesday. And then, like, literally within a half an hour, we found out that she's still alive. And so it was a huge, just emotional roller coaster within all of this. Uh, so it's hard for me because I'm very invested within this. Um, I've been staying up every night because of the time change, wondering what's happening in the morning over there, and then um, getting up early and immediately getting on to different sites, new sites, to see what happened when I was asleep. Um, and so it's just been an exhausting week of a lot of grief, a lot of sadness, leading into a lot of frustration and anger. And just that, I mean, even within the time we've been worshiping, there's an, an app you can get um, called Red Alert, which anytime a rocket goes off, the Red Alert goes off, letting Israelis know that they need to get to the bomb shelter that's in their home. And so my, um, can you go back to the map? So my uh, friend Roz, who lives in the um, pin on the top one there, um, he lives 13 miles away from Gaza. So when the Red Alert goes off, he has... 15, 10 seconds to get to the bomb shelter, and his kids do. Where Jerusalem, it would be like 50 uh, a minute type of a thing. Um, Roz is, uh, everyone I know is alive, but people that they know are not. Roz had to go and clean up from the death of his neighbor next door because he died in his home. And so, um, so this is real. I mean, this is, it's very hard to, 
to process this. And um, I, that's why I didn't lean into it fully this morning, because it's hard to separate my emotions from this. Um, and so the, in that, I just want to encourage you to be there Wednesday, uh, to be able to hear, hear from Josiah, to be able to pray together, to be able to ask questions, have more of a conversation at that point. Um, but condemn in the strongest terms possible this horrible, evil, terrorist act and just pray that God would bring peace to this region as quickly as possible. Here's a couple of things you can be praying about. Um, first off, release of the Israeli international captives. Um, comfort for the people of Israel and Gaza and their grief. And I think we need to clarify, when we see the phrase people of Israel, that's not exclusively Jews. The people of Israel are Jewish, are Arabs, are Druze, are Midianites. There's all, uh, all kinds of different people groups, and they're all experiencing this. And so it's, when we talk about that, that's what we're talking about. Wisdom for the government leaders, uh, protection of the Palestinian c- civilians in Gaza, and that Palestinian leaders would condemn Hamas's actions and demand, and demand the hostages' release. Um, I think, you know, just thinking through how to help you process, there's so many different things, so many things coming up. That is one thing to look for within the different rhetoric that you're reading, is it, do you hear people asking for that? Um, because if you don't hear people asking for that, then it's a skewed perspective. Um, so no country is perfect, Israel included but we can't blame them for Hamas's actions. And so in that, we need to hold Hamas accountable for what they're doing, and part of that's the Palestinian leadership's job. They haven't done that to to date, and so that's what we need to be praying for, that they would condemn these actions and ask for the release of the hostages. Um, And so what I'd like to do, and I'm kind of calling an audible here, this wasn't the plan, Um, Many times we pull the prayer cards off and we break up into pairs and we pray for a few minutes and then regather. And uh, I'd like to do that now. We're not going to pull the prayer cards, but here's some prayer points. And just we're going to take a minute. I'll even put put my watch on the timer. We're just going to take a minute and as a church pray, uh, not just me up here praying, but like we'll break up into groups. So if you want to pray by yourself, you want to pray with somebody near you, um, we want to pray for this situation. We want Here's things you can specifically be praying for. Excuse me, and then after a minute, um, I'll close this in prayer. Good? All right, so I'll start. Let me start off praying and then get in your groups, and then I'll close this. God, we thank you so much for the fact that you are in control. We thank you, God, that we can trust you and to be able to know the complexity of this thing that doesn't fit in our minds. And so we just pray that you would intervene, God, that you would... um, that you would do things that only you can do. So hear our prayers now. So let's pray as a church. Again, pray together, and then after a minute, I'll close this.
we lean into your wisdom. Pray for wisdom for government leaders who are processing this and trying to strategize and handle and make decisions on things that we just don't know all the details for and can't even comprehend ourselves. We pray that you would uh, protect the innocent civilians of Gaza. God, we pray that you would um, miraculously, whatever you need to do to release these hostages. God, we pray that this would end quickly. And more importantly, Jesus, we pray you would come back quickly. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You know, I mentioned the Red Alert app. Um, it's It's gone off five times during our worship service. So just for perspective, um, and that if you know if I, if I can post that in the discord link later if you're interested because for me it's a prayer reminder uh, anytime I mean because it's not like it's only been happening this week it happens all the time and so um, if you're interested in just knowing that information I could pass that on too. Um, we're going to take a hard pivot and go into our message for today um, try to come up with a joke or something my friend shy. Uh, who I showed you the picture with his wife and daughters, he said at one point, just talking, I heard him sharing about the Holocaust and his grandmother surviving the Holocaust and the, the humor of the Jewish people. And basically it comes down to, if we don't laugh, we'll cry. And so um, uh, last night I just gave myself permission to scroll stupid, funny reels on Instagram and just tried to laugh. And so sometimes uh, that's the best thing you can do. Um, join me in Leviticus 16. Um, if you want to use the Pew Bible, this is on page 95 in there, uh, or turn to that, click to there um, if you have your Bible. Uh, while you're turning to there, uh, it seems like there is a different, today is national whatever day, every day. Like, literally, there's something that comes up, um, whether it's National Donut Day, National Ask a Stupid Question Day, National High Five Day, International Nose Picking Day. These are all real things, okay? And just to clarify, today is not National um, Nose Picking Day, so please uh, keep your fingers out of your face. Um, we typically don't acknowledge these, and some of them we might not, thankfully, even know about. But then there are the days that when those days come by, they really do matter, and we do stop to acknowledge them. July 4th, June 19th, September 11th, Memorial Day, different dates of that nature. Today's passage is about a day like that, a day that is of utmost significance, a day that you stop and acknowledge, and not just for a moment, but as far as who you, and may, like, stop your life to be able to acknowledge the reality of this day. Today we're going to be talking about one of the most significant holy days in the Jewish calendar. Now it helps us to remember where we're at as we've been going through the book of Leviticus. If this is your first time with us, we've been going through this book that is typically avoided. Um, of all the 66 books in the Bible, this is usually the one that people skip over, especially after the part that we were on two weeks ago. Um, but we're trying to lean into it and say, okay, what, this is part of God's word, and God is given, all of God's word is profitable and beneficial and guides us. And so how does this help us know what it means to be the people of God? So a couple things we've seen, it's not taking it necessarily every verse by every verse, but more section by section. And so Leviticus 1 through 7, we looked at the different sacrifices 
the fact that God wants us to be with him, that God makes a way for us to be in his presence, to be in relationship with him. Then we looked at Leviticus 8 through 10. This is the section about the priests and the mediators and the fact that God transforms us by his grace and calls us to represent him. That he is our mediator, but that he sends his son to mediate in our place. But the reality is, is that he, by his grace, brings us into relationship with him and asks us to be a representative of him in the world around us. Then two weeks ago, we talked about Leviticus 11 through 15 and this idea of a spiritual mindset of using spiritual discernment to strive for obedience, strive for faithfulness, to strive for um, holiness. This takes us up to where we're at today in Leviticus 16, which is about Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And really, this chapter is the center of Leviticus. Everything leads to it, and then everything leads coming out of it. And then he would even say it's the, it's the center of the entire Torah, the entire first five books of the Bible. This is a central, all of scripture is important and it's in, we need to take in and we need to read and understand and implement. This is one of those chapters that is of utmost importance as far as knowing the reality of who God is, how he engages humanity and wants us to be back with him. Now, some of the days in our calendar that should be important, some of the ones I mentioned, we can tend to skip over, or we might even miss the point. July 4th and Memorial Day become more about barbecue than they do about what the days are actually about. Some don't even know what June 19th is. It's Juneteenth, just so you know. Uh, we just go by some of these things without pause, without reflection, or understanding why these dates are. The Day of Atonement would have never been skipped like that for the people of Israel. This, this day stopped everything. This day was of the utmost importance and the most significance. The Day of Atonement is the holiest day of the year for the people of God. It's a solemn day of spiritual renewal, focusing on themes of atonement and repentance. It's a day when sins are forgiven and who we are as the people of God is reaffirmed. Why such a day? Why have such a day of this importance? Because the reality of our sin and its impact on not only us, but the world is something we must take seriously. The whole chapter begins with this stark reminder for them. It says in the first couple of verses, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil, because the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. That very beginning, when it talks about Aaron's sons who drew near and died, they just flippantly came in without thought, doing things that God didn't approve of, approve of, worshiping him in ways that God did not call for. And within that, within no sense of honor or respect, within a complete disregard for the parameters and stipulations that God had established, they died. Because they came into the presence of the Lord unfit to be within his holiness. Here God tells Aaron to learn from their mistakes. This day can't be ignored this day can't be disregarded. This day can't be treated flippantly. This is too important to not be focused in and understand what's happening. 
He told them at the very end of the last section we were in, at the end of Leviticus 15, he said, Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanliness, lest they die in their uncleanliness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. God is telling, like this whole section about the clean and unclean, God's telling them, you need to guide the people to get away from uncleanliness. You need to get, help people get away from the consequence and the, what happens because of uncleanliness. And that leads into what we're talking about here how, in Leviticus 16. How do people deal with their uncleanliness? How do people deal with their sin? How do they handle their sin? And the answer to that that we're going to see is that God makes a renewed life possible for everyone. God makes it possible for us to be forgiven. God makes it be possible for us to come into his presence. God makes it possible for us to have new life, to become new creatures, his sons and daughters within the people of God. God makes a way. Now we're going to use, we're going to knock every, giving my disclaimer, not every single detail, but trying to hit onto the big points within this passage to see how it points to this reality that God makes a way possible for everyone to have renewed life. As before we get into that, I know we've already prayed once, but I'd like to pray again, just ask that God would speak to us through his word. And so God, we do praise you. We thank you so much uh, for your love for us. We thank you for the, your pursuit of us. We thank you, God, that you desire all of humanity to be in relationship with you. We see the consequences within the free will that you've given us of what happens when people stray, when people do their own thing, when they don't acknowledge you as God, when they acknowledge others as God, as they go different ways. We, see that, we have seen even this week how that leads to evil consequences and evil ends. God, we thank you, God, that you guide us, that you make a way, that we can come to you, that we can be forgiven, that we can be restored, that we can be made new. God, that we can know confidence and joy and peace in who you are because of what you've done and not because of ourselves. And so I pray that you would open up our minds and our hearts to hear from you and you alone, that you would be speaking to us through your word. God, we just thank you for who you are and your love for us. In your name we pray. Amen. God makes a renewed life possible for everyone. The first thing we're going to see within this is that God does that by cleansing us from the defilement of sin. God gives us a renewed life by cleansing us from the defilement of sin. I'm going to start in Leviticus 16, verse 6. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. And then skipping down to verse 11. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself. It shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. He shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small. And he shall bring it inside the veil, almost like you know, carrying incense through the area. And... Um, and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the, verse 14, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side, and in front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Now a lot of details in here. 
And when you read these details, we see, we hear Aaron taking the blood of these sacrificed animals that were sacrificed for sin offerings, and he's sprinkling it on parts of the altar, carrying this sweet incense throughout the area. It's like he's doing this weird cleaning with the blood of the sacrificed animal. And in all actuality, that's exactly what he's doing. Scholar Jay Sklar says this, In this first phase of making atonement, impurity and sin are portrayed as a defiling substance, like an unholy dust, mold, or shame that clings to the Lord's home and must be cleansed. This happens by means of the purification offerings. And so it's this image that sin leaves this unholy residue, if you will, this mold, this dust that needs to be removed. I remember when uh, Jen and I, our families lived in our condo for a little over 10 years now, but I remember when we first started trying to find something and the months and months and months it took to find something and the di- number of different places that we walked into with our realtor. And there would be different times when we walk into a, whether it was a home or a condo or whatever it was, we would walk in and one of us would say, does that smell like mold to you? And none of us would answer. We would just all turn around and walk out like, all right, next one. Because the idea of even smelling mold, I remember one time we actually walked down the stairs and our realtor went down first and she immediately turned around and started walking really fast and just said, black mold, black mold, black mold, go, 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 go. We just, we were out of there. Imagine, can you imagine if you found that there was black mold in a room in your house? You would vacate, call somebody immediately and say, come and clean this and get this out, right? Now imagine if you didn't take care of it. Imagine if you didn't clean that out. What if you found out that you went to somebody's house who knowingly had black mold in their home and they invited you over and they have never done anything about it for the entire time that they've lived there? That would be, that'd be a red flag, right? That would not be good. Why are you allowing this in your home? Whether it's intentional or unintentional, the wrongdoings of humanity create a defilement the reality of, uh, that gets on humanity and creation, and it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be cleansed. And what we see is that what happens, the way that that is cleansed, is through the sacrifice of in the blood of sacrificed animals for the purification to remove that defilement. The blood of the sacrificed animal atoned for that sin. Cleanse them and the tabernacle itself. We think about the reality of this defilement. Think about this. It's Halloween season. So think about the idea, if vampires were real, let me go on cloth. I know they're not, okay? I mean, Twilight and all that, they're not. But (laughs) if there was one, we know that they can't go into the sun, right? If they go into the sun, they're going to be burned up. It's going to be destroyed, We'll go in the opposite direction from an evil creature to the reality of a holy God who is perfect and without sin. And when that uncleanliness of sins enters his presence, it cannot survive. In the same way that the sun impacts the reality of the vampire, the holiness of God is going to destroy the reality of uncleanliness that comes in his presence. This isn't that, I think we really need to have this word, this picture in our mind. This isn't like God is there going, ah, sin! 
like he's scared and doesn't want to be around it. No, he is good and perfect and holy. And when anything of uncleanliness or sins comes in his presence, the reality is going to be more of something on that than God. God's not going to be adjusted. God's not going to, uh, and anything's going to happen to him. It's like the sun affecting the vampire. The uncleanly thing is going to be destroyed. And so God says this needs to be cleaned. This defilement needs to be removed. Why? Because he wants us in his presence. Because he wants us with him. And the New Testament tells us that Jesus is the reason that we are cleansed and made new. It says in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. That's what he, the author of Hebrews is telling us. It's just like what happened on the Day of Atonement where when Aaron sprinkled the blood on the altar and the blood cleansed them to where they can then be in the presence of God because of the reality of who Jesus is and his death on this cross and his shed blood, we can be, we are clean. We are cleansed from the defilement of sin and we can then come boldly into the presence of God. We can boldly come to him without hesitation. It says in 1 John 1, 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The defilement which sin causes is wiped clean because of Jesus' blood shed for us. Isaiah 1.18, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. We think about this reality that Jesus cleanses us from the defilement of sin and we can be brought into his presence. We can boldly come to him without hesitation. And what does that mean for us on a daily life level? Well, it should encourage us immensely on a daily life level because we experience the defilement of sin and how it prevents us from being in God's presence. But it also impacts just who we are and how we go about life. We experience guilt. We experience shame. We become judgmental against one another. We are robbed of joy. We're robbed of peace. Like the song we sang earlier, we are prone to wander. We're prone to leave the one we say we love. So we have to regularly, because Jesus cleanses us from sin, he removes all of these things from us as well. He removes shame. He removes guilt. He removes pride. He removes any sense of what would be better than him. It says in 2 Corinthians 7.1, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Telling us, well, if Jesus is the only way that we can be forgiven and our only way our sins can be cleansed, then how, why is it telling us to cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body? Because we have to regularly bring ourselves to Jesus. We have to regularly bring ourselves, our lives to him to be reminded of the reality. The shame that you're feeling right now, you don't need to feel because Jesus has made it possible for that to be removed. 
The guilt that you're feeling right now, you don't need to hold on to because Jesus has forgiven you and he's taken that guilt. The judgment that we have against one another, we need to have our perspective changed because of the reality of who God is and what he's done. We continually bring our lives to him to be reminded that we're not enslaved by guilt. The fact that he removes shame, that joy and peace, that nothing can take those things away from us. And he is greater than anything else in the world. I don't know what you're carrying when you came in here, but maybe shame is heavy for you right now. Maybe you're feeling guilt about something. Maybe the way you see others, your a sense of condemnation or judgment. Maybe you're in the midst of really hard things and feeling just, you're not feeling the joy and you're not feeling the peace that the Lord provides. We need to come to him and remind ourselves, allow him to remind us, you are a child of God. And that means you're cleaned. That means that the defilement of sin is not on you. And so why are you holding on to this shame? Because you can let that go. And why are you holding this guilt? Because you can let that go. Why are you holding on to all of this? You can let that go. Because Jesus removed it. Don't try to take it back. Let it be gone. Jesus makes it possible for us to have renewed life by cleansing us from the defilement of sin. We have to continually come to him and remind ourselves of our need for him, that we are cleaned people, and then to live within that reality. That takes us to the second thing. God gives us renewed life by providing a substitute for the penalty of our sins. He gives us a renewed life by providing a substitute for the penalty of our sins. I'm going to read two sections here, one verse 6 through 10, and another verses 20 to 22. So I want you to listen to the details here. Um, Actually, verse 7, sorry. Then he came, then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the presence of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Then down to verse 20. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay, in verse 21 especially, Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins, and he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all the iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Now, in the, in the first part, of the rituals from this day, sin is seen as a defiling reality that has to be cleaned. In this next part, sin is depicted, as one scholar says, a lethal burden, a fatal weight that must be removed from the sinner's head and taken far away. And when we get to the details of this passage, when we see Aaron casting lots to decide which of these two goats is going to be a sacrifice to the Lord and which is going to be sent away into the wilderness. 
The goat to the Lord is a sin offering, making atonement for the sins of the nation, that their sins would be forgiven. But then it says there's this goat for Azazel, and that's the most interesting part of all of this. Remember, it says in that, in verse 21, Aaron puts his hand on it, again, putting both his hands, a sign of representation, that this goat is representing not only me, but everyone in Israel. And he says, it confesses over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel, all their transgressions, all their sins. So he's putting his hands on here, and all of the sins that everyone committed are put on this goat. Every stupid thing that everyone's done, whether intentional or unintentional, every compromise, every infraction, every disobedience, every unfaithfulness is put on this goat. That is one loaded goat. And they take this goat, uh, Jay Scholar says, in his love for his people, the Lord provided this third party to remove their sin and bear its penalty so they do not have to. A substitute stands in for the nation and takes this burden on itself. I, I think of, I know, pop culture here, but I think of the Hunger Games. Don't, that's not a joke, that's just a reality. <laughs> Katniss's sister gets picked to go into the games. And she says, no, I'll go. I'll take her place. And what do we have here? This goat is taking everyone's place. Everyone deserves the consequences that come from their sin. And we see the seriousness of sin and what happens to Aaron's sons. They just walk in and the unholiness and the uncleanliness and the reality of sin gets in the presence of a holy God and they die because that can't be in the presence of a holy God. And so God wants us to be with him so much, though, that he provides a substitute to say, I'll stand in their place. And everything that everyone did is put on this goat, and it's sent out into the wilderness, into nothingness from their perspective, into this chaos to say, that's where they're going to be. It's the, our sin is going to be banished there on him, and we don't have to pay the consequences of that. What the scriptures tell us is that Jesus does that for us. It says in Romans 3 and chapter 6, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The fact that all of us are as guilty of sin just as the ancient Israelites were. There isn't anyone who can say that they're perfect. We all have wrongdoings that we do. We all go against the reality of God. And the truth of this matter of sin is that the consequences of it is death. But what does Isaiah tell us about Jesus? That he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. That's the image here. That the punishment of our sin is put on Jesus in the same way that the sin of the nation was put on this goat. It says in 1 Peter, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. 
This is what we celebrate when Easter comes around. The reality that Jesus died on a cross in our place, taking our sin upon him that we can be forgiven and not have to face the reality of that. That's the good news. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to tons of different people showing that he was alive. That's the gospel. That's the good news. He did this in our place. We can know forgiveness. We can know life. We can come boldly into the presence of God. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that's what he did. That's what the Day of Atonement points to, the reality that Jesus died in our place. John 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Because Jesus took our condemnation on himself, we are not condemned. Because he died in our place, we are able to live in the fullness of eternal life. That's why this day is so important. Because it points to the reality of all, that why Jesus came and died for us. And that leads to the last thing. God gives us a renewed life. The work is done and so we have to receive life from him. This is true. This is what God do, did. The fact that Jesus died for us, rose from the dead. But he, he makes that life possible. We have to receive it. When we go back to Leviticus 16, it says at the end of the chapter, And it shall be a statute to you forever, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. And this shall be a stat, verse 34, and this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. This was going to happen, was he telling them is this is going to have to happen all the time. This is going to happen constantly. Here's the date on the calendar where every year the high priest is going to go make this sacrifice for all the people so that their sins can be forgiven. And year after year after year after year after year, forever they're going to have to do this until Jesus. And so it says in Hebrews, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered himself up. Hebrews 10, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which never can take away sins, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He died, he rose again, 
the ultimate sacrifice which ended the need for all sacrifices. And when it was over, he sat down. Last weekend at the marathon, it takes a little long to get through that. And it's really, really hard. And it's exhausting. And for whether it was the marathon, the, the world breaker, or myself just after that, or everybody else that ran it, you get my stepbrother was running it, and he finished about 20 minutes before I did. He's a lot younger than I am. But when I got up to him afterwards, he was sitting on the grass. And the first words out of his mouth when he saw me walking to him was like, you did it. Sit down. Because what's the whole, you don't have to run anymore. You don't have to, you've accomplished this. Sit down. And what Jesus did is he accomplished the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. The idea of I'm trying to be a better person. I'm trying really hard. I'm better than this person. We don't have to offer lame sacrifices. We don't have to impress God. We don't have to do anything because Jesus did it and he won and he sat down and he says to us, come to me and I will give you life. We have to receive the gift from him. He has done everything. He has made the way possible, but you have to receive that life that he's given you. And so it says in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You have to put your faith and trust in him and no one else. Ephesians says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. We can't look at and boast the things that we've done. We have to boast in the things Jesus has done. That is where we find life. 1 Peter 3, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. And it's home with God that you're truly living. Apart from him, we're not. We're we're accepting a lame substitute that will never fulfill never save, never cleanse, never give us hope and joy. It's only in him we're home where we're meant to be. And so you need to put your faith in Jesus. We're going to end today by receiving communion. Uh, the different, our, our team is going to be passing